listening to the Paranormal Pursuit, hosted by Bobsy from 99.7 The Mix and Larry Wilson from the Urban Paranormal Investigation. You're not alone. We are not alone. The Paranormal Pursuit will keep you company. That's right. Thank you very much for taking some time to listen today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Bonzi, and Larry Wilson is here with me from the Urban Paranormal Investigation. And we are on episode number 12. We are quickly coming up to the end of season one. And boy, it's been a fun, exciting ride. Lots of great uh Content, I think adventures, storytelling, scary, spooky clips. Um, it's been it's been very, 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 very uh, uh, awesome. According to a couple of the messages that I've received from listeners, and I know you're getting comments too on your Facebook page, yeah, and, and friends and, and and folks and 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 acquaintances that are listening and and uh, they're enjoying themselves. So we 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 thank you guys all for tuning in. We appreciate it. Yep, making a lot of new friends. It is, man. And guys, share the the podcast with us uh, or share it with everybody else. Share your comments, opinions, questions with us, especially on this week's episode. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of comments because uh, I feel like this topic, Larry, is one that's kind of I think it's kind of looked down upon on, on uh, you know, yeah, it's, that, it's, you know, people just don't really buy into it uh, very much. But um, again, I, I think it's on the fringe, but I think that's changing. I, really I think do. it is. I think it is a little bit. But I think when you talk about the paranormal and you talk about the unexplained and you t- that, that's what we really you know want to do this be- yeah. for and, 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 and me seeing and hearing things being with you, my 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 mind is open. And that's what I think. That's what we just need to make sure that we we uh, we 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 um, what's the word I'm looking for here? We encourage people to, to let them know. Hey, just keep keep an open mind. If some, if something can't be explained, hey, try to help us out. Yeah, you know what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. There, there ain't nothing wrong with helping us out. And I think and, the more you do this too, I think the more your your mind actually opens. You're right. Yeah. I mean, mine has. I mean, shoot, ten years ago when you you, know, you came around and you you brought this topic up, I I thought you were goofball yeah now i'm thinking hey um there might be something out there (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean whether it be like a you know a a bigfoot or whether it be paranormal maybe it's a you know who knows yeah it's it's like a big education i mean i've seen things on these investigations that we've been on so anyway um guys the bonzi bites podcast available on our website of course 997themix.com we're going to post all of these on our youtube channel when season one is finished we're going to take a little break before season two we're going to get that one all planned and ready to go but uh, next week will be our last episode that will be the wrap and uh, that is going to be you know again this one's been all about larry wilson and his uh, journey and his beginning uh, of investigating and how it became part of his life. Um, so we, I, it's been a really, really fun season. I don't know how we're going to top season one. I feel like you can never top season one, and yours has been amazing, Larry. So thanks for sharing that. Well, and, yeah, you bet. And for me, it's been just like you know, reliving all this. That's awesome. You know? That's awesome. And the wrap next week is cool because it's going to be the five EVPs uh, that have affected uh, Larry's life the most. Yeah. And I can't wait to hear those stories, man, because we might have heard the EVPs. We might not. And that's something, too, I think, that you said going back and listening to all this stuff and, and going back and reliving this stuff, 
maybe some of this stuff has been brought back into your it, life it has, again. Because you remember some of the, you remember some details you you sort of forget. I mean, you don't remember the, I mean, you don't forget the main stuff. Right, right. But there's some little details that it brings back to you that, oh yeah, I forgot that happened too, you know? <laughs> That's cool. Now, this one here is uh, all about your 2012 investigation, is Two, that right? 2011. Okay, 2011 investigation of Cumberland Sugar Creek Cemetery. Right. Now, is that local? It is, yeah. Okay. Um, it, like it is local flavor and, uh, um, folks, when I, when I tell the story, some folks will probably remember, um, some of what I'm going to talk about because okay. it, it made the local news. Oh, wow. Some of it did. I okay. Should say. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, the, the cemetery is located, uh, in what's called ball township. Uh, the actual address is, uh, one, two, three, six, zero Gordon drive. So if you would follow Gordon drive South out of Chatham, um, I think it's about, Four or five miles, and on be on the east side of the road. You'll you go right. Oh, by so it's on my neighborhood. Yeah, it is. It's, okay, yeah, it's just real close to you, not too far. Um, there's not a lot of history, as far as I could find, about the graveyard, other than it was uh, located, you know, near one of the first settlements in Sangamon County. So it's an old, old graveyard. Uh, I think which was the settlement was around 1818. So so anyhow, the cemetery has been uh, active as uh, as having burial since like 1830. So it's an old old cemetery, and they still bury folks there today. You know, it's well maintained, uh, that type of uh, that type of thing. But uh, the incident we're going to talk about uh, all stemmed from a um, a paranormal consortium that I'm a member of. Now it's open to the public. Uh, it's still active. Matter of fact, they just started it up again after COVID. They they took a year hiatus, but uh, the uh, the consortium is, uh, is 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 hosted once a month out at Lincoln Land Community College. Uh, a gentleman named Carl Jones, who's a local paranormal investigator, um, is the moderator for this consortium. And this was again just uh, casually. I was heading out to the consortium on a uh, on a Saturday afternoon, just back in June of 2011. And uh, a gentleman I was investigating with the Times, name is Chris, uh, he attended the meetings. And there was probably a group of, you know, 40 people at this particular meeting. Wow. But when I got there, I got there just a bit late. And when I got there, a uh, local paranormal investigator, he's actually a, a, a Bigfoot investigator. And I say local, he's from the local area, but he's investigated all over the country. Uh, his name's Stan Courtney. And Stan was given a presentation. And it was on a recent... You know, and this sounds this may sound strange, like you were saying. You know, a lot of people don't believe this, but uh, this involved an investigation Stan was doing. He was contacted by some folks that lived near Chatham, or, or I think it was in Chatham proper, actually. But um, when I got there, Stan was showing some slides of some photos that that he took, and uh, the one photo um, was of a of a footprint, and some folks found it. I believe it was under an apple tree. Um, they, uh, they found this footprint. Um, it was measured 18 inches long and eight inches wide. Is this the one you're talking about here? Uh, no, that's the, okay. that's the one that, uh, Chris and I took. Um, so, so this is the one here. Well, this, the photo that I, I don't have the photo that the original Stan, one. Okay. No, this photo that you're going to post on our site is from, from a report okay. uh, that Stan took of someone else who also found a footprint the following day uh, in an area not too far from where the original footprint was okay. found. Okay, so he was contacted by someone that found I just thought yes. we had the original yeah. picture, so we and, do not have that one. Right, no, I don't have the, the original picture that Stan took, and it was it was kind of a, it was a pretty good picture. You know, you could actually see the, the footprint, I mean. Uh, uh, but anyhow, uh, as the story went, Stan was contacted by the folks, and I think they were having some work done at their house in a, a like a, a local 
or a contractor found the footprint. And then the folks uh, contacted Stan. But they'd also had some activity because the night before the footprint was found, if I remember the story right, uh, the folks had some apple trees. And there were the apple trees had you know quite a few apples on it. But the next morning when they got up, they were all gone, hmm. basically up to the top of the tree, as high as you could. You know, How tall was the tree? I, I don't know that okay. I don't that okay. I don't recall. You know, I I had apple trees when I was a kid. They they'll get probably you know twenty five feet. You wow, know, something okay. like that. So they're pretty good size or canopy. Or these could have been smaller. Right? I'm not sure. Uh, but anyhow, that type of thing. You know, things being missing uh, for the footprint. That that kind of pointed to stand towards possible Bigfoot activity. But something else they found on the property that day was really interesting. Was they found a rabbit uh, under the apple tree, and the kind of morbid thing about the rabbit was the head was completely pulled off, not twisted off. It was pulled off and they could tell just by the, what was remained of the, of the rabbit. And Stan has told me that a lot of the investigations he's done and reports that he's taken over the years, uh, folks will have maybe a small animal come missing or maybe like in this case, they'll have some, some, some fruit trees and, and, and fruit is missing from the trees, those types of things. And a lot of times there'll be uh, an animal found on the property, like laid in the driveway or something like that, you know, that, and they believe it is type, it's a type of gifting from, from the, the Bigfoot, like returning, really? I took something from you, I'm replacing it. Now, I don't know if I buy into that, but that's just what a lot of the theories are. Huh. And there's, there's a lot of guys been, been looking at the Bigfoot a lot longer than I have, you know, and, 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 and they may, they may be onto something there, but anyhow, it was just kind of something else that was found. So anyhow, uh, while we're at this meeting, you know, I, I sat next to Chris, uh, who, who I was doing investigations with at the time. And as Stan was telling the story, another gentleman uh, that was at the meeting uh, raised his hand. And he said, you know, we were out at Cumberland Sugar Creek Cemetery last night. This was on a Saturday, the meeting, and this was, would have been the Friday night, the night before. He said, we're out at the cemetery, and we were just kind of, you know, doing our thing out there. And we sat down at one point, kind of in a little group circle, and they were asking questions, doing what we call in, in the paranormal investigating, like an EVP session. We've talked about those before, where you ask questions and try to record responses. As they were sitting there, all of a sudden, they started getting uh, pelted with rocks and dirt clots. And they were coming from behind some you know trees at the edge of the cemetery. And one of the ladies in the group actually got hit in the side of the cheek and with, a, I guess, a dirt clot, you know, and of course that, that, that startled her and hurt her, but uh, they couldn't see anything where, there, where anybody was throwing or, you know, they didn't find anything. So both Chris and I kind of looked at each other, man, that's, that's, that's fairly interesting, you know, we thought, you know, but uh, maybe we'll have to look into that sometime. Well, back in 2011, there were two groups that met at Lincoln Land. And they were usually the same week. One was the Paranormal Consortium, the, the, the Prairie Land Paranormal Consortium. And the other meeting was a uh, Central Illinois UFO group. And now they've kind of combined the two. But the UFO group always met the following Tuesday. So I attended the, the Tuesday meeting. And uh, Chris did as well. So I, I, I once again sat next to Chris. And as we were there, uh, Carl Jones, who's the moderator of the group, um, started telling a story how... He was heading home. He lived in Auburn. He was heading home from Lincoln Land where he worked, and he took the frontage road off of 55, and I think it was near the Glen Arm exit. And when he took that exit, there was a little pond there, and he noticed um, an object hovering above the pond, which, you know, he, he stopped his vehicle because Carl's into the you know, UFO thing. He stopped and looked, and first he thought it might be a helicopter. Uh, but the thing was, there was no rotor, and there was just just a, a like a, a round sphere, you know. 
And he said it was almost like see-through, but you, but you could see it like the sun was reflecting off it. And then it just all of a sudden just vanished. So, you know, he, he thought that was really interesting. So he's telling the story. And then he brings up the fact that where, where he saw this object is probably less than two miles from the crow flies where the Bigfoot activity was taking place or the, you know, the alleged Bigfoot activity was taking place and was, would have been fairly close to, you know, not too far from Cumberland Sugar Creek Cemetery as well as the crow flies. So we start kind of looking at each other thinking, hmm, maybe this is going to be worthwhile, you know, heading out there. So is Cumberland surrounded by a lot of trees, a lot of woods, um, a lot of forest area? I mean, it's where, not where, like, would the, where would something like this go and live and hide? And I mean, well, we, I, I didn't know at the time because I'd never been out there before. But after going out there, I could see that there weren't a lot of trees. There was sort of a tree line, uh, like a more like brush around the cemetery to the south and maybe the southeast. But there was a field, like a cornfield behind it. And across that cornfield is a wooded area. And the Cumberland Sugar Creek area is, is I would guess you would call it a wooded area. Okay. You know? So, but you would have a, a, a distance, probably a half mile distance between the cemetery and, and where the, the, really where the trees okay. really were, you know. But, so that was the, the whole point of, or eventually going out there was to try to determine where these folks might have been, uh, been you know, where, where something might have been that was right, throwing right, at right, these right. folks, you know. So anyhow, we're, we're, we're listening to the rest of the UFO meeting. So we decide that, well, when the meeting's over, let's get directions out there because Carl had been out there before. So um, after the meeting's over, like, there was a small group of us. We um, kind of gathered in the parking lot around our vehicles. And it was, it was you know, 930 at night. And there was a, which this was kind of kind of interesting. There was a, um, like a street light over us where we were standing talking, you know, so it was lit. And we're getting directions from Carl. And we're talking about some of the weird stuff that had been going on in that area. Because there had been reports for years of strange lights around Cumberland Sugar Creek Cemetery, which, which at that time I was just learning about. And so anyhow, we're talking about some of those things. And just out of the blue, it's kind of weird. The, the light goes out, the light that's right over us, you know, as we're talking about this stuff. And it just blinks out, and it's out. So Carl gives us directions as we're getting ready to leave. The light comes back on there oh. in the parking lot, which was, of know, course, and, and that that's you know that's more than likely it was coincidental, <laughs> but it just kind of added to the what the my, eeriness, right? Yeah, yeah. That and the story that I'm going to tell. So anyhow, um, Chris and I had separate vehicles, so we decided that uh, I would drive my vehicle out to the McDonald's on Toronto Road and leave my vehicle there, and Chris had his Jeep with him, and Chris would pick me up at the McDonald's there. So. Uh, that's what we did. I left my vehicle. Chris picks me up, and we head out to Cumberland Sugar Creek following the directions that uh, Carl had given us. So basically, we we, we were um, following the Gordon Drive is what we did, you know, out of Chatham is what we did. We kept, we took the back way and, and, and went that way because it was the easiest, shortest route to it. Uh, so anyhow, when we get to the cemetery, you know, the, the problem was that night, this was a spur-of-the-moment type thing. Chris and I didn't have any equipment with us. We didn't even have a flashlight with us. So when we got there, um, it was, you know, kind of a clear evening, but it was dark. It may have been a, I can't, I can't remember the moon phase, but it was, it was fairly dark when we got there, you know, cause you're talking, it's, it's almost 10 o'clock. So we get out of our vehicle. We pulled into the cemetery. There's one road in one road out. So we pulled right into the middle of the cemetery and we got out and we just kind of started walking around carefully because, you know, our eyes weren't adjusted yet to the, to the darkness and we didn't want to trip over some, some of the gravestones. So eventually though, after about 15, 20 minutes of walking around, our eyes started to adjust and we could basically see where we were going. And we were talking about some of the things that, uh, that had been talked about at the meeting. 
And we decided to, you know, where would this, where could this group have been sitting and someone throw at them and they couldn't see them, you know? So we figured it had to be the south or southeast corner of the graveyard. So we start heading toward that direction. And, you know, again, like I said, we'd been there about 20 minutes. So it's probably about uh, 20, 20 minutes after 10 o'clock. And as we're heading toward the south, uh, Chris is in front of me about 10 feet, a little bit to my left. And we're talking as we're going, but it's pitch black, you know, and I can barely see Chris. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, I can see him. It's just like it's broad daylight. This bright light lit us both up, you know, like Chris. I could say, always say like Christmas trees. I could see Chris plain as day. And my first initial thought was that a, a policeman was behind me with a, a spotlight, you know. But we didn't hear anything. That was the thing. It was completely quiet out there. We didn't hear a thing. So this light all of a sudden just lights us both up. And I'm talking, it wasn't a small light. It was like a radius of about 20 yards. It was a pretty good size area that was lit up. So immediately I turned around thinking there was somebody behind me. But when I turned around, my my gaze went up and my hand had to go up in front of my face because the light was blinding. And basically what it was, was just a whitish, yellowish light if you've ever seen the old, um, you know, like uh, spy shows, you know, on TV or a movie where they have that uh, interrogation light yeah, yeah, yeah. right in somebody's eyes, where they more or less blind them, that's what it was. I mean, I, I I couldn't I couldn't see my hand for the blinding light, and I had my hand right in front of my face. And this light probably lasted, you know, I'm saying four or five seconds. So okay. it was there, and then it's gone. And Chris saw it too. Chris saw it too, but. When the light kind of blinked out, I turned back around, and my eyes, I guess, you know how you've been looking at yeah, a yeah, light, yeah, I could see Chris. You know, I mean, it was like a blur, but I could see Chris, and his hand was coming down, too, so he was doing exactly the same thing I was, trying to see the light. Did you ask him, well, did, you, did you see that? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure he was, because I know him. I bet well, he was freaking out. I can't say what the first word was out of my <laughs> mouth, you know, to, to Chris, but... He started to, to answer my question. I, like I said, you know, like basically what was that? And uh, Chris tried to answer and he couldn't talk. It's like he would try to talk and he sort of started like clutching his throat with one hand a little bit and rubbing his throat. And it took him several minutes to be able to get where he could, could really speak. And he said that what happened was when he saw the light, his throat started burning. Like he got choked up or? Well, he said it felt like, he said it felt like the worst case of acid reflux you could ever have, you know, just like that acidy feeling in your throat where it's burning. He said it was like a sore throat just burning, you know. Ugh. And then this, I mean, like I said, it took a couple minutes before he was able to speak. But then we were, we were, we had a, a just a brief discussion like, you know, what was that, you know? And it didn't have the feeling, you know, here we are in a graveyard but it didn't have the feeling of being ghostly, you know? Uh, it came from the sky. And to give you an idea, when I turned around, I could see the light. It was like looking at a, like a, a bright, you know, bright, bright street light. But it was no more than probably eight, eight to 10 feet behind me and no more than, you know, about the same distance above me. So it's, it's real close, you know? About the height of a basketball rim would be, you know, above. Right, me. right, right. And uh, and again, there was no sound whatsoever. And this was again back before law enforcement would use drones. But even with drones, there's there's sound with them. You know, you can hear the little buzzing of the propellers. But again, this was way before police used uh, the drones. This was, like I said, this was in 2011. But um, there was just nothing there. So, but what was really weird was, okay, so we just got lit up like Christmas trees by this light we can't explain. 
And then just a few moments later, it's like, oh, well, and we went on our merry way. Just like it was no big deal, <laughs> so, which makes no sense now that I look back on it. So anyhow, we continue uh, walking, heading toward the south part of the cemetery there along, want to get toward the fence line. When all of a sudden Chris remembers, because he had a new uh, cell phone, and of course this is now would be ancient, but anyhow, he said, oh, I just remembered these new cell phones have a flashlight on them. So Chris, you know, he, he starts fumbling around and finally he gets his flashlight turned on. So we walk along the south edge of the, uh, of the cemetery there. And the reason Chris basically, you know, we had his light on, but what, what we were looking for at the time, Chris was a hunter, and he deer hunt, and he wanted to look for deer tracks, you know, while we were there. And I thought, well, okay, you know. But as we get along the fence line, we get to the southeast corner, and there was a pile of soft, sandy clay. And it may have been just a pile that they used, like maybe for graves, that type of thing, or maybe to, to, to fill in holes in the cemetery, that, that type of thing. But anyhow, we're looking along the fence line, then all of a sudden Fitz, uh, Chris goes, hey, look. And he points out there were four barefoot footprints and they were heading like southeast out of the, like going out of the graveyard. But the, the odd thing about them was they were barefoot. And when I put my foot next to them, and I wear a size 11 and a half shoe, when I put my foot next to it, um, they were a good, you know, four inches longer than my foot in about. Is that the, right, that one? Yeah, that's the picture. Uh, Bonji's going to post a, a photo that Chris took with his cell phone at the time. And in the photo, it would be in the bottom left third of the of the uh, photo, or, or or half of the photo, I guess you would say. It's the darker shaded area. Yes, in the bottom yeah, left. yeah. And, and the bad thing about when you take photos with the cell phone, you don't get like a, the depth perception that you, that you would you would hope Next time, for. put your foot next to the thing, Larry, okay? I should, I should have. <laughs> but what I didn't want to do was, you know, distort the picture. Right, of course, right, Chris right, was right. taking the photo. and but uh, Did you have a ruler with you? I mean, this no, is Bigfoot 101, like, Larry. What's yep, going on, no, man? No, it's like I said, we, were, we weren't <laughs> even prepared to do an investigation that night, you know, so we had no equipment whatsoever with us. But uh, we found the footprints, you know, and uh, we figured that we didn't know at the time, but then we noticed um, later when Chris found out he had a flashlight with him, uh, on that south edge of the cemetery, there was a slope there. So there was enough of a slope where someone or something could have stood without that group seeing him. It could have threw rocks or, or dirt clods at him from that location. Oh, so, okay. So it was possible that somebody could have been throwing at him out there and not be seen. And uh, we also noticed uh, in that part of the of the graveyard along the edge, there were some trees, you know, decent size. I mean, you know, three, four inches ra- around. And one of them was just snapped off about uh, seven, seven feet up or so. Huh. It just like broke off. And, 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 you know, I don't, it didn't look like the wind had, had, had done it. It just like it had been just snapped. Anything else happened while you're out there? No, but here's what's really weird. To, so we spent about, uh, you know, we stayed, we left probably about, uh, 20 minutes to 11, quarter to 11, something like that. But as we're driving away from the cemetery, all of a sudden, it's like it hit both of us about the same time. Like, what the heck just happened, you know? And we started really discussing what the light was. Like, it, it made it didn't matter to us while we were in the cemetery, but once we left, it was like, what the heck was that, you know? So Chris takes me back to my vehicle at uh, Toronto Road at the McDonald's, and uh, I head home down 55 to Taylorville where I live, and Chris lived in Chatham at the time. So we're both on 55, and I had an old flip phone, you know, and Chris had his newer, I think it was an iPhone, one of the newer iPhones at that time. And I call Chris, and we're having a conversation. Well, just out of the blue, our conversation turns to, it, it's, it's like a mechanical, you, you hear these mechanical voices. on. His, he's hearing the same thing I'm hearing, but it's our voices that sound mechanical. 
And I'm thinking first, it's just distortion. But my phone at the time was older. And if I, if I had like bad cell reception, I would just, my, my phone would drop the call, but it didn't, you know, we kept having our conversation. So I hung up and I called Chris back and then I got, we got a good connection and everything sounded normal, you know, but it was just kind of weird how all of a sudden we have this like interference in our phone conversation. So that night I get home and, um, I tell my wife what happened and you know, Kathy, it's to her, it's like, oh, really? You know, and it's like she could care less. Right, right, right. <laughs> so I go to bed. You know, it's probably, I probably go to bed 11, or not 11, probably after midnight. And middle of the night, I woke up, and I'm burning up with like a fever. Just, I mean, just sweating profusely. And we had our air conditioner on, you know, that, so the house was cool, but I'm just sweating like crazy. And I'm thinking, man, do I have a fever or something? So I get up, I take my temperature. I, don't, I didn't have a fever, you know, but it was just like sweating profusely. And then for the next, well, and then that night also, I, you know, I kind of had an upset stomach. And then the very next day for probably, I'd say next day and a couple of days after, and it happened to Chris as well, we both were just completely exhausted all the time, which made no sense, you know, but, huh. but we were, and he felt the same way. Now he didn't have the fever or anything like that, but you know, I don't know whether something that was radiant was close to us hmm. or, but it, it had the feel of like something either you know either interdimensional or extraterrestrial you know it didn't have the feeling of being um something from that graveyard so how many times did you investigate cumberland well, or have you investigated well, cumberland because of what happened uh that was on a uh, i believe that was a tuesday night the following week chris and i decided to go back out there with some equipment on a wednesday evening and we we arrived it was still daylight when we arrived and we again wanted to get a better look at the at the uh, layout of the cemetery and stuff in the south edge and that type of thing. And we were, walked around and and we'd been out there probably I'm guessing about an hour. And Chris is separated from me a little bit. He's looking around. I'm looking around. And as I'm walking out there, all of a sudden I heard what sounded like a, a like a big or a large bird behind my head and the wings flapping like crazy. So I turn around thinking there's this wild hawk or something behind me, you know, and I'm wait, I'm waving my arms. I turn around, I start waving my arms to, to, to like scare it away. And when I did, there's nothing there. And I turn back around, look at Chris and he's looking at me and he goes, yeah, man. He goes, I don't know what you saw, but there's nothing there, you know, like that. So, but again, that was the only thing that happened that night. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that was a week later on a Wednesday night that we went out there. But since that, that, that uh, particular incident, the, uh, the light incident, Carl Jones, the, the moderator of the Paranormal Consortium, another gentleman one time at one of their meetings that I wasn't at, this was after all this had happened, was talking to uh, Carl about an incident that he had at the um, uh, Glenarm Cemetery, which is, you know, from where we were, Glenarm Cemetery is no more than a mile or two away. It's a little cemetery right in the, the village of Glenarm there. But this guy and his, I think it was his son, this was in the wintertime, they pull into the cemetery at night and they had, a, I believe, a pickup truck, and they were going to have a couple beers, I think. So he pulls under this light, and he says uh, to himself, he says, I, or to his son, I guess, um, uh, it's not a good idea to park here under this street light, so let's pull up. So he pulls up, you know, a few feet and get out from under this light. They get out of the truck. When they get out of the truck, there's no light there. So something had lit them up as well. And then as they're standing there, they notice this, ball light in the sky and it's kind of hovering around and it starts heading uh, I, I guess it would be toward the west and uh, so anyhow it's snowing out so they decide they're going to try to follow this light and so they start following this light 
And according to Carl, they followed this thing pretty much all the way to Auburn, but it started snowing so hard that they figured, you know, we're going to have trouble, you know, getting back. So they turned around, but they followed this light to the west. But they said that they believe it was what it was that lit them up in, in that graveyard that particular night. Huh. So, but there's been stories for years how the police will be out there monitoring the graveyard. Uh, for like drinkers and that kind of thing. And I think it's the county police that monitor it. But anyhow. The Cumberland or the Glenarm? The the Cumberland. Okay. And uh, and they've 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 seen lights in the cemetery, and they'll go investigate thinking there's somebody in there, and they'll find nothing. Really? Know? Yeah. And, and those are unconfirmed stories that have been told to me. So but, talk about this report here you gave me a little bit of. Well, there were, there were a couple of port reports uh, around the same time. Now, uh, Stan Courtney took a report from Chris and I at two locations that particular year. One was the Cumberland Sugar Creek, and another incident also involved a an orange light, which Chris saw, and then later that 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 evening we found a, a barefoot footprint at Williamsburg Hill. Okay. So there were two reports that we had filed with Stan, but also around June of 2011, Stan had taken two additional reports. Of one was of the activity that was going on around Chatham, the 18-inch footprint there. Yeah. But in the meantime, the following day that he took that report, and again, um, Stan eventually went on radio and talked about this, but at the time he took these reports, he hadn't gone on the air yet about them. But the second report he took the next day, someone else contacted him because they found a 18-inch footprint under or near the, uh, the covered bridge near the Cumberland Sugar Creek Cemetery out in that area. But so it was like a, a day apart and two footprints that basically measured the same same length. So we're going to put pictures up of the bridge. Uh, and, and again, what, what does that bridge have to do with any of the uh, story just, you were telling? Just kind of a, that's the locale where the footprint was found. Okay. Basically. So underneath the bridge or? Near it. I'm not I'm okay. not sure if it was underneath, but it was near it. And as the crow flies, I'm again, it's just a, a couple miles probably from where the Chatham incident uh, took place. Okay. And again, where I'm doing all the time saying as the crow flies, but if you would make a line from where the bridge is to us. We're probably just a couple miles okay. as well. So this is all happening in the same area. So this is kind of the beginning of your Bigfoot UFO curiosity. I mean, I'd seen the Patterson-Giblin uh, Giblin film from 1967, 68, you know, and I'd kind of done a little research on that, and it, it looks too good to be true, but this was back in 67 and 68, and I know that back in the day, the uh, the, the folks at the, the Disneyland or whatever you want to call it, the people that did all the um, filming for Disney, that kind of thing, and would make props, they, they looked at that film, and they said, we couldn't create this. And they said basically, too, that if we were going to make a, a fake suit and pretend that we were this creature— for one thing, we wouldn't make it, we would make a female suit because this in the Patterson Giblin film, if you look close enough, this was a female that had breast, and they said we wouldn't make that because it would be too difficult to sell that as real, you know. So they believed that that film was real, and that's how I kind of first got got in, into the Bigfoot stuff. But to continue with this story, a lady I worked with named Denise, she lived about eight miles from the Cumberland Sugar Creek Cemetery, but near the Chatham, Illinois area. And uh, she knew I was a paranormal investigator, and this was that uh, November. Uh, she ha comes to me at work one day. And she says, hey, I want you to come out and take a look at my van. She said that uh, we live down a, a gravel road, so I get dirt all over my van. I, I, you know, I don't wash it too often because it's too hard to keep clean. But she said, we've heard noises, and our dogs have been you know, barking lately and stuff. But she said, when I came out to, to get in my van this morning, 
there was a huge handprint on the back of my van, and I just wanted you to take a look at it. So I went out there to the parking lot to look at it with her. And there was a hand, and I would compare it to, you know, I've seen like just um, uh, posters of the movie about King Kong or something. So they show the handprint, you know, you can see the lifelines and everything in the, in the fingerprint, the handprint. So anyhow, on the back of her window, and I measured it, was over eight inches long, was a huge like hand. But you could see, because the dust was really thick on her window, you could see what looked like scrapings at the end of the fingers, almost like claw marks. Um, and I tried taking photos with my phone, but it wouldn't show up in, on the cell phone, you know, because it was on a, on a back glass of, of her vehicle. But so that was also not too long after all this stuff took place. And so other people in the meantime had reported things like that. So anyhow, Stan, Stan uh, Courtney... Um, sent his report to the, he's a member of the BFRO, Bigfoot Research, or Bigfoot, yeah, Research Organization, which is the folks that do the Finding Bigfoot mm-hmm. TV series. As a result of that, our reports were sent to them, and they contacted Chris and I, and uh, and they wanted us to do an interview. And, and if folks have seen the TV show, what they do is they always start out with this town hall meeting in a certain area of the country, and they make it look like these town hall meetings or something. They just throw an ad in the paper. Hey, right, anybody right, wants right. to attend, but they don't do that. It's part of the show. So what they do, whenever they're going to a particular area, like in this particular show, they were doing Bigfoot reports in the state of Illinois. Uh-huh. So anyhow, uh, Stan sends the reports. So they contact Chris and I, and their town hall meeting was going to be held at Pierre Marquette, you know, down by Grafton, Illinois. So Chris and I go down there, and this was, I think, in October 2011, if I remember right. But before we did this, what they did was they sent an associate producer out two two weeks apart with a, with a, a couple you know behind the scenes type people, and one took Chris to Cumberland Sugar Creek, and one took me to Williamsburg Hill, and what they wanted to do I think was separate us, have us tell our stories beforehand, and see if we changed our stories based on those reports, which of course we didn't. As we were out at Williamsburg Hill, and you know that I go out there because of the ghostly type things, uh, I was talking to the uh, Mark DeFore, that one of the associate producers, about the ghostly activity and things I'd experienced out there. And he said, well, and I, and I mentioned I'd written a book, you know, at that time called Chasing Shadows. And he said, well, my mom's interested in the paranormal. Well, I happen to have a copy of the book in, in my car, so I gave it to him. You know, I said, well, here, just give this to your mom. Well, there was a story about the Cumberland Sugar Creek incident in that book. And when Chris and I got to Pierre Marquette, we did our interviews, that type of thing, and during the town hall meeting, and they still had a lot of people to interview. And anyhow, uh, Mark DeFore comes up to me and says, hey, Larry, would you mind waiting? Because one of the cast members wants to talk to you. And I won't say which one it was because I promised that I wouldn't tell their story. Uh, At least I wouldn't tell their story in a book or put it on a website, anything like that. But anyhow, we had to wait about an hour and a half. And then finally the cast member and another gentleman came with us uh, came with, with them, and they said that uh, the reason they wanted to talk to us was, she sa- uh, they said, uh, Larry, um, I, read, I read your book, uh, and what you said in the book, I want you to know that I agree 100% with you. In my book, what I mentioned was how we had seen these lights at different places and how my theory is that these Bigfoot, if they exist, aren't Neanderthal-type creatures or some type of primitive uh, ape or something that's never been discovered, you know, because it wouldn't make sense something like that showing up in central Illinois with all the hunters we have for one thing, there would be evidence of it, more evidence than what I've talked about today. 
But anyhow, I've always believed that they're interdimensional, that they kind of show up and can go in and out of the, the dimensions, whether by choice or, or just by accident. And she says, I, I 100% agree with that theory, and I want to tell you a story about a light that was associated with Bigfoot activity. Well, you just gave away the cast member when you said she twice. I, I did. I did. <laughs> but that part doesn't matter. But uh, but she, she She's going to be hit up now all over social media because Larry no, just blew her cover. No, actually, um, I, I've heard an interview with um, – with uh, the the gentleman named Bobo, that's a cast member on the show, right? And Bobo over the years has changed his tune as well. When when Chris and I gave these reports, they wouldn't let us talk about the light. They wanted no part of that because their theory was that this is like it's I a said, primate, yeah, yeah, some type of uh, undiscovered right. primate or yeah. something, or the missing link. Right, you know? right. So they wanted no part of that UFO stuff, and so we couldn't put that in the reports. So if you go out there and look up these reports, you won't find anything about the lights in the reports, right, and right, that's right, why. Right. So anyhow, but in my book, I talked about it. So she said, I read your story about the lights. And she said, I want to tell you a story that happened to the, the gentleman's name, and I will t- say his name, Tyler Bounds, because he's behind the scenes, but he's an outdoorsman, and he goes with the cast members and helps them set up tents, and he camps out with them, that kind of thing. But they're telling me the story, and they said, we're in the state of Washington, and and as I've said, I've already blew my blew her cover, but... Uh, <laughs> So the, the the person was Renee from the show. So anyhow, uh, Tyler had already set his tent up. So he goes to help Renee set her tent up. And they're about 100 yards apart where they were camping. And so he goes over to Renee. And as they're setting up her tent, they see this light in the distance. He said, you know, it's probably 50 yards away at, but at this point. But it looks like a lantern. And he, they see like a group of people, like a family walking with this light. And anyhow, they continue setting up the tent. Well, this these whatever they are, people or whatever, are getting closer. And he said they're about 35 yards away. And Tyler says, Larry, I can honestly tell you, in all the years that I've done this, I saw my first Bigfoot, and there were four of them. They were all different sizes, like a family of them. And then he said that light that I thought was a lantern or we thought was a lantern that was next to him, he said they're 35 yards away from us approximately. He said just instantly that blinding light is right in front of us. And he said, almost like a balloon popping, except there was no noise, the light disappears. And when the light disappeared, they disappeared too. Um, so he said, that totally convinced us that these things have to be interdimensional somehow, you know. Um, whether they're spiritual, you know, um, some type of spiritual creature, you know, they don't know, of course. But that made them a, a, a believer that uh, it was an interdimensional type thing. And, and so the paranormal pursuit continues to find out whether they're whether or not. what it is. Yeah, so that, yeah. that's what you want to keep doing. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And and, and is that Cumberland Cemetery or cemetery? Is that the in Will Hill? Are those the only two spots you've ever experienced the light with those type of creatures or or, or entities or whatever that is? Well, and like I said, I didn't see any creatures. Those okay, nights. you didn't see uh, any. No. Shapes just, or forms no, or anything. just found the footprints. Just the light. And, and the footprints and the lights. And then the night at Williamsburg Do Hill, you think those things could make a footprint? Do you think it's a, could it make a... Yeah, some, I, I think when, let's say they are, let's let's just say for argument's sake, they're interdimensional. I think when they come here, they're in a, they're, once they get here, they're in a physical state. Okay. You know, they, they, they could, they may leave footprints, they, they okay. break trees, that kind of thing, you know, throw rocks. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's that's my belief. Uh, when I first started out this paranormal stuff, like I said, I saw the Patterson Gimlin film, and it looked it looked real, and um, but I didn't know that could have been some kind of undiscovered you know creature. But since then, I've been contacted by or talked to a guy for four hours that's a, a rancher out in east east uh, Texas who 
has all kinds of evidence. He wants me to come out there sometime. Okay. He's actually seen one on his ranch. I'd like to. Maybe we should make that one because, again, you know, me, me being the skeptic here, you know, I mean, it's just I, I, I'm trying to wrap my brain around it. You know, I'm trying because well, it's hard. There, there's got to be some sort of explanation for this, you know, and whether you say it's interdimensional, whether you say it's spiritual, if if there, I mean, there, why couldn't there be? Well, one two of the, different realms or two different ways for that. To one of the other witnesses that was at that uh, that town hall meeting the night that Chris and I were there down in, at Pierre Marquette was a gentleman from down around St. Louis, but on the Illinois side. And he was driving home one night. He said, just down an old country road. And he said, all of a sudden, he said, I, I didn't, didn't even think about Bigfoot. You know, he said, all of a sudden, this giant, hairy looking, ape like creature jogged across the road in front of me like it didn't care I was huh. even there. But he said what the, the the cool thing was, it jumped a fence. And when it jumped this fence, it, it like basically there was a, a bean field there that hadn't been planted yet. But he said it jumped the fence, and when it did, it disappeared. It just vanished right before his eyes. You know? Wow. So, yeah. All right, so that's Cumberland uh, Sugar Creek Cemetery. Again, you can Google, look up, search all you want, and we'll put some pictures up on the website, 997themix.com, on the uh, Bonzi Bite section of the, uh, the, the the website in the Morning Mix page. Um, next week is The Wrap. That's going to be uh, wrapping up Season 1. That'll be Episode 13, five EVPs that have affected uh, your life the most, Larry, and, and how we go uh, from there, okay? And I can't wait to get to Season 2. We'll, we'll plan that out and let everybody know. So uh, an EVP that we've gotten, we, we, we started off doing EVPs of the week. We kind of got away from it because we did so many EVPs on some of your right. investigations that you went on. Yeah. We just didn't have time. Uh, we don't really have time to do this one right now, but I want to get in an EVP. Every episode, I want at least one EVP. Um, and so I'm going to test Larry here, and that's what we do. I try to stump Larry. Stump stump the Larry Wilson <laughs> is what this game is called. So I'm going to play this EVP. Larry's going to try to see where this is from, if it remembers the EVP and remembers the investigation. Are you ready? I'm ready. I really don't. Are you stumped? I'm stumped. Did I finally you, you may have stump me on this one. Larry play, Wilson? Play it one more time. Uh, I think I'd stumped him. What if I said the name Doris? Oh, um, that would be, was it Randolph County? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So explain to people what that was. Um, Doris, well, I don't really remember the story of Doris. I remember the room she had. Right, right. Doris's room. But I know that Doris was one of the, I think she was the last person that had, had been a patient at Randolph County that, that they yep. kind of moved out of Randolph there. County will be one of the investigations yeah, that we talk yeah. about. And we it's, had some interesting things happen on that one. But, yeah. but I think Doris was the last patient they had there that they had moved out. And that was recorded in her room. Yeah. yeah. And that was a laugh there. You can hear the la- yeah. you can hear her laugh. And then you can hear my laugh like in the background because uh, we're really far away from that recorder. I mean, we we're, were, if I remember right, when we recorded that, we were down in the basement. Yeah. 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 We were really, really far away. So one more time, this is, uh, you hear some laughter in the background and then you hear me at the very end cracking up. 
Creepy. And I've noticed that some of these uh, mental facilities, we've recorded laughing. Tons of laughing. Yeah. Tons. Yeah. Tons of laughing. And that's why I thought I was going to stump you. I was like, this is, he's no, it's going to be laughing, <laughs> but he's not going to know which one it came from. So that is your EVP of the week. And I finally stumped oh, Larry man. Wilson. I'm, I'm so happy that I stumped you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in again next week as Bonzi and I once again pull the string and unravel more mysteries of the paranormal. Until next week, happy hauntings.